Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. This episode is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3.8 million members and supporters working to power this nation with clean energy at sierraclub.org. Before we get into this episode of No Place Like Home, we just want to give you all a heads up that this was recorded before the murder of George Floyd and all of the protests around the world. So while our conversation with Reverend Yearwood is about racial injustice and faith and climate change and is super relevant to this moment, we don't speak directly to the actions of the past few weeks. We also recognize that as white women, we don't want or need to be the center of this movement or moment, but we do wanna explicitly state our support for people of color who are leading this fight and say unequivocally that Black Lives Matter and that there is no climate justice without racial justice. Hi, I'm Anna Jane Joyner, a climate activist living on the Gulf Coast of Alabama. And I'm Marianne Hitt, a climate activist with the Sierra Club living in the West Virginia Hills. And this is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. This season, we're bringing the light. Y'all, these are some strange and difficult times we're living in, and whether it's the coronavirus pandemic or the climate crisis, there is a lot of fear and a lot of things to mourn out there right now. And in times like these, many of us are turning to our spiritual traditions for guidance and strength and solace, and that is what we're doing on this season of No Place Like Home. And this week, we're honored to bring you a conversation with Reverend Lennox Yearwood, He's the head of the Hip Hop Caucus and has been a bold and bright voice connecting the dots between social justice, music, art, and climate change. Reverend Yearwood is also a man of deep faith, and his faith feeds and fuels his activism, and he has been an inspiration to many over the years. We'll dive into our amazing conversation with Reverend Yearwood in a minute. But first, Marianne and I have some catching up to do. So, Anna Jane, I just got something in the mail that I am very excited to tell you about. Ooh, I love surprises. And it is related to this episode. So um, our mutual friend, Bill McKibben, climate hero to many, uh, also a spiritual person, a United Methodist, I believe. Yeah, Sunday school teacher. Yes. So he sent me this book called Rooted and Rising. Have you heard of this book? I haven't, but I love the sound of it. Well, it is an anthology of spiritual perspectives on the climate crisis and on climate activism. And so it's like a literary companion to this season of ours and has some of our friends and former guests in the anthology, like Catherine Hayhoe. And um, Bill McKibben wrote the introduction. Isn't that the coolest? Oh, I love it. I can't wait to read it. I really love these kinds of pieces with like bite-sized essays around these beautiful, important topics. 
the two editors are Leah, I'm not sure how to pronounce Shade, S-C-H-A-D-E, who is a Lutheran pastor and eco-theologian from Kentucky, and Margaret Bullet jonas who's an Episcopal priest. So a couple of women, spiritual leaders, wrote this book, and I just wanted to mention it to you and all of our listeners if you've been enjoying all these conversations. This is kind of like a companion volume uh, to all of these conversations. And one of the people that they have featured in the book is our guest today, Reverend Yearwood. No, I can't wait to read it. All right. There you go, listeners. I hope that book is another great resource for you as you're navigating these crazy times. Let's hear from one of you now. We've been asking our listeners to share passages or prayers or other pieces of wisdom that speak to you in navigating the climate crisis. And we're happy to hear from one of our listeners right now. Hey, this is Steve Runholt, and I am the pastor of the Warren Wilson Presbyterian Church just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. I'd like to offer a piece that was uh, adapted from and inspired by a poem called Wage Peace by Judith Hill. This is called Wage Hope, an Earth Day poem in a time of COVID-19. Wage hope with your breath. Breathe in the smell of honeysuckle and lilacs and breathe out resilience and the sound of jazz saxophones. Breathe in the smell of sunshine on an orchard filled with apple blossoms and breathe out the radiance of your own energy to help renew the earth. Breathe in fear if you must, but breathe out peace. Breathe in anxiety and breathe out faith. Plant a chestnut seedling as an act of that faith. Breathe in sorrow for the stricken and breathe out thanks for every single caregiver everywhere. Imagine grief as a seed of love dying in your heart, so that like all seeds that first must die, it might rise again as a spray of joy blooming in big white blossoms. Wage hope with your listening, hearing sirens pray louder. Learn the words for please and thank you in three languages to assist you in your praying. Use all your tools, group chats, emails, Zoom calls, and remember this, the telephone. Think of the joy your quarantined grandmother will feel when she hears your voice. Make magic happen, transcend out, play drums and let them beat out a healing rhythm. Learn to sew and make masks, we will surely need more of them. Think of adversity as unrealized possibility and dream such into being. Wage hope. Wage it with your breath, with your listening, with your grieving and your praying. Wage hope for migrating warblers and clear trout streams, and for the birth of windmill farms in the wastelands of New Jersey. And give thanks for air now so pure you can see the Himalayas from a hundred miles away. Wage hope. Start today and don't stop for a month or a year or five years. Wage hope. I am so excited to have Reverend Lennox Yearwood on this episode of No Place Like Home. You and I both have known him for many years. He's been an incredibly important leader in the climate movement. One of the things he's most known for is founding the Hip Hop Caucus 15 years ago, which works to connect uh, young people and hip hop culture artists and fans with broader movements around social justice, climate justice, and taking action. 
I absolutely love his kind of strategic and creative mind. He has organized amazing events with artists and musicians to encourage mostly young people to get out and vote and to take action on climate change. He's worked with some big stars, including Snoop Dogg, Wiz Khalifa, Antonique Smith, Beyonce, my personal favorite, a concert soundtrack in my life. Everyone's personal favorite, let's be real. <laughs> yeah, let's be real. Um, and here's a clip from a music video the Hip Hop Caucus helped make, which starts with a prayer. We thank you for blessing us. We thank you for bestowing upon us. We thank you for the blessings that you have in front of us, and we give you all the glory. We ask that you be with us in spirit and mind and soul as we present this stage and ask that you make sure everyone is in the same frequency. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, The Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Interweaving climate action and faith it runs deep for Reverend Yearwood. Uh, his family is from Trinidad and Tobago. He grew up in Louisiana, was raised Christian. There are ministers in his family. And he himself was called to ministry pretty early on. As he told us in our conversation, faith has always been a really important foundation and a source of strength for his own activism. And he also shares that with the folks he works with who are predominantly young people. I tell them that you can't do this work unless you have something invisible to pull on. I don't care what your faith tradition is, because if you're pulling on yourself, you will become worn down. You can't do this work. There's no way possible. I've been around for too long and too many years, and I've seen amazing activists and amazing, particularly young people who have so many talents, but they're just pulling on themselves and expecting them to do every single thing. And that's impossible. One of the scriptures that I live by is that the battle was not yours, but the Lord's. And that keeps me moving because that lets me know that it's not all on me to do everything. It's not all on me to be successful, not all on me to win it. It's not all on me to know everything. And so, again, I think it's important for us to have something invisible to pull on besides ourselves. And for me, um, that's the key thing. Hmm. Oh, God, I feel like we should have that printed out and sent to every activist we know. Because, <laughs> you know, I think I'm, in some ways I'm sort of a classical oldest child um, who is quite ambitious and for a long time did kind of carry 
I mean, still do sometimes carry the weight of the world on my shoulder and sort of expect myself to be able to do everything and know everything and figure out how to solve all these giant problems. And it has definitely taken me to a place of burnout and also kind of forced me to really look beyond myself. And for me, that is from a variety of spiritual sources. Even the one thing I love about the Buddhist tradition is this whole idea of non-attachment to outcomes, that all we can do is show up and do our very best and kind of do the next right thing. This same feeling is really what sent me on a spiritual journey in the first place, because as you know, I grew up kind of disillusioned with the sort of anti-science views of the church that I grew up around in the South. Oh, I knew it. Yeah, but it was when I reached the end of my own rope as an activist, and I was just like, I can't, I can't do this, that I realized I needed something, some other source of strength to draw on. And I just, just even listening to him again, say those words just felt like a little weight lifted off my shoulders, that it's... You don't have to do it yourself, and it's not on it's not on each one of us to do everything. I'm so grateful for that message. And you know, one other thing that he talked about was that while some of us have chosen this path of an activist, a lot of folks don't have that choice, especially people of color. And we talked about that in our conversation. I believe that in this country that the vulnerable are sometimes made activists even when they don't want to be activists. If you are in the Appalachian Mountains, if you are in the streets of Detroit or New Orleans, a lot of times when you are from vulnerable communities, you're thrust into the role of activism. Privilege has a way of letting you be able to decide if you want to be an activist. And sometimes being vulnerable makes you an activist if you want to be an activist or not. Hurricane Katrina was a formative moment for Reverend Yearwood in terms of, you know, moments that force you into activism and also connecting the dots between the social justice movement and the climate movement. Hurricane Katrina really crystallized it for me because I saw firsthand, particularly poor people and particularly people of color, literally being left behind in the richest country in the world. And that, to me, should not and could that happen? We had to change that. And the fact that we would continue to have these types of storms, we need to do something, particularly as it would make more people of color and vulnerable communities more vulnerable and causing chaos to their lives. But once the waters receded, there were other environmental battles to fight to protect his community. Louisiana is home to what they call Cancer Alley, which is this region along the Mississippi River between New Orleans and Baton Rouge that's full of oil refineries and chemical manufacturers and coal plants and pipelines. I've driven through it, and it truly looks kind of like an alien landscape. Um, It's really shocking to go from being in the kind of vibrant uh, center of New Orleans to only within an hour, this very bleak, dangerous place, which is unfortunately home to mostly people of color. And it's you know also the one of the places in Louisiana that was most ravaged by the coronavirus, where there was a huge amount of deaths and disproportionately people of color. And partially that was due to the air pollution and the incredible vulnerabilities these communities already had. So you can really see where all of this intersects and, and leads to incredible injustice. It was a double whammy in which either they were being hurt through the possibility of hurricanes and natural disasters and flooding, or literally being polluted. And so we began to figure out 
that we must fight both poverty and pollution at the same time, that we could not just take one cause and not the other. And I think that is what began to really push me in this regard and really look at what needed to be done. Now, I will say this, that when we began to get involved, it was interesting that the overall climate movement was like, that's wonderful. You want to be engaged and we want to put you into the silo of environmental justice, which is wonderful. I mean, obviously an environmental justice advocate, but it was like, no, we, we need to fight this from a holistic standpoint and get to the root of the problem. It doesn't benefit us to be put into a bucket because we're people, mostly people of color and young people, that we're going to be fighting for all the issues regarding the climate movement, regardless if it's, if it's hurricanes or wildfires or droughts, if it's fracking or mountain removal, if it's ending coal-fired power plants, if it's, if it's moving on, if it's getting rid of pipelines and moving to renewables, that's what we need. That's where we need to be. That's the fight that we have to be. We're not going to be siloed into one area alone. That fight is there. We're not going to stop that fight, but we're going to be fighting all the fights that are part of the climate crisis. When Reverend Yearwood talks about breaking down silos, in my experience, this is something that is happening more and more in the environmental movement. It's certainly happening in the Sierra Club. And the world is laying bare just how interconnected we all are and just how interwoven environmental injustice and public health disparities and all of these challenges are. And ultimately, we are all only as safe and secure as our vulnerable folks. I think that's another thing that we're learning in this time. And so ahead of the curve, as always, Reverend Yearwood, in talking about how all these fights are interconnected and being siloed does not serve us. And I'm certainly glad that we are on that journey in the environmental movement, in my experience, with more work to do, of course. I've really found that not only is it just the morally right thing to do to break down these silos and to center the voices of people of color and the people who are most impacted, and but it also is just far more effective. Like I had one particular situation that really spelled it out for me. We were hosting this event for sort of former evangelical leaders, um, all kind of people with some platform or following that wanted to do more on justice. And the funder really wanted it to be specifically about climate change. But the partner organization we were working with, who is a faith-based organization, was like, no, it has to be about racism, refugees, and climate change. It has to be intersectional, or else we're just not going to get the right people to the table. And also, of course, all of those issues are incredibly intertwined. I'm just so, so happy that we went that direction because we had this incredible group of leaders, artists. We made sure that half of them were people of color, half of them were women. And we had these incredibly hard but vibrant and life-giving and illuminating conversations about the intersections and how there is so much overlap. Even though it wasn't exclusively a climate event, everyone in that room, all 50 of these young leaders, walked away feeling really inspired and driven to work more on climate change. So it still moved you know, the climate change conversation forward, but it was really important that it was just a part of this, of this larger, more interconnected conversation. So more of those sort of intertwined campaigns and efforts are happening, and I think we, we need to see a lot more of them. And, you know, this may seem like a recent development, and in some ways it is, but Reverend Yearwood also noted that when we asked about whether he thought Martin Luther King 
how he would have approached climate change had it been an issue in his time. He'd talked about the fact that when King was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, April 4th, 1968, he was marching in solidarity with sanitation workers. And Reverend Yearwood pointed out, which I had never thought about it this way, that that's kind of the epitome of a green job, if you think about it. It's clear that in today's time, he would definitely understand the impacts of what it means for us to be putting profits before people um, and what we are putting before pollution before people and and how we're causing people to be harmed. And I think that there's no doubt that the uh, climate change is a rights issue and that we have a right to clean air and a right to clean water. And I think that one, the more that we understand that climate change is a civil rights issue for the 21st century, that I think that we will do the things the civil rights movement did to ensure that we have that clean air and clean water for everybody. Martin Luther King Jr. was a man of deep faith, but he also was someone with a great respect for science, which is not something that we always see in our modern day, 21st century religious leaders. We can see through climate change and coronavirus how dangerous it is for, in particular, you know, Christian or faith leaders. Um, I won't just say Christian, but tends to be mostly white evangelical Christians who reject science. But, you know, when people look up to them and follow them and trust them and, and they're not respecting science, then we end up with the climate crisis and a lot of deaths from the coronavirus that were unnecessary and a myriad of other ways. You know, a lot of my favorite faith leaders really view science as a, a window into God's character. Basically, if an artist makes something, you can look at that art and you can get a sense of their being and their personality and their passion. And I love that kind of view of science. It's like this is shouldn't be something that's antithetical to religion or faith. It's, it's a beautiful part of our spiritual experience. And they go hand in hand. He was very clear on his understanding of the role of religion and the role of science and what religion can do for science. I'm always reminded of one of his amazing sermons, Keep Moving from This Mountain. I love that sermon. It's a powerful sermon. Through our scientific genius, we've made of the world a neighborhood. But we've failed through moral commitment to make of it a brotherhood. And so we've ended up with guided missiles and misguided men. And the great challenge is to move out of the mounting of practical materialism and move on to another and higher mountain which recognizes somehow that we must live by and toward the basic ends of life. We must move on to that mountain which says in substance, what doth it profit a man to gain the whole world of means, aeroplanes, televisions, electric lights, and lose in the soul? He gave that sermon many, many years ago, but it still remains relevant today in an era where in public culture, you know, science and religion sometimes think they're at war. But I think Dr. King, as he did in so many other things, 
he urged nonviolence and just that he rather shoot that we urge that we can just move to be the better of ourselves. You know, there's there's a lot that feels really broken and um, heartbreaking in our world right now. And I definitely don't wake up every morning feeling like I know how to handle it or how to fix things. I woke up this morning just kind of in a, in a ball of, um, of sadness and grief and, and not sure how to show up and, or, you know, just process all of this incredible scariness and sadness around us. We asked Reverend Yearwood if he had advice for all of us and how to navigate these really challenging times. I don't know if some of y'all have ever prayed before, but uh, if you haven't, this could be a good time to start <laughs> with, with, with prayer. It's not a, not a bad time. If you want a, a pandemic and a climate crisis and other things going on, we have hurricane season around the corner. This could be a good time to start praying. So I would just say that uh, prayer is, is sometimes is, it's, and it's not, I'm not saying for me, it's obviously within a faith tradition, but I mean, just a time for either meditation or just centering yourself, your quiet place. I think that's important for you to do, to still yourself so that the stillness can be still during, during, during the hurricane or the troubling seasons. This is a powerful lesson out of these times. Like you, Anna Jane, I have had mornings where I wake up thinking, I am not sure how to do this. I have a lot of responsibility in my job. I have a child and the world is so scary and overwhelming. And I can kind of go into this downward spiral that is all interwoven with the climate crisis and my worst fears about it. And I have really had to very intentionally almost force myself to start every day with some kind of either going on a run without listening to any kind of music or anything or some time of silence or, or something, you know, whatever your tradition out there might be. It has been really important for me to just hold on to my own center and not come at everything in a a ball of fear and fury and, you know, um, despair, uh, even as, as legitimate as all of those feelings are. And as much as I'm trying to honor them, I'm also trying to, to get centered for the work that I need to do and the people that need me. Yeah, I totally feel that. I think I can certainly devolve into kind of a a cycle of despair. And really the thing that helps me get out of it is is centering in some kind of prayer or meditation. It reminds me of this. I kind of, you know, went through a period in my late teens, early, early 20s, where I was very disinterested in religion because of my kind of fundamentalist intense upbringing and I was in that period and had been for a while and I was I actually got into a pretty bad sailing accident that I will tell you guys some other time but it involved a really big storm and it was it was a dangerous situation it was one of the most dangerous situations I've ever been in we were up all night we were taking shifts to stay awake basically to see if we were going to make it um, and to be in touch with the coast guard and I remember my three-hour shift in the middle of the night, I was just sitting there and like my body was so tight and my heart was racing and I couldn't really think or focus on anything. And just out of nowhere, I said this prayer. I was like, God, if you can't calm the storm outside, please calm the storm within me. 
And I immediately felt this kind of release where it wasn't that I was out of danger. I was definitely still in danger. It was just that I, I kind of came to a sort of peace with it and a peace of with where I was. And I let go of that that physical and harrowing fear and anxiety that I was holding. And we sure enough did make it through it. And and I've thought about that story a lot in the past few years, like certainly after the election, but also in this kind of pandemic moment we've been in where it's like oh, everything just feels so it feels like a giant storm. And sometimes down here in Alabama, it's literal storms. And I just keep coming back to that prayer where like, if you can't calm this giant mess outside of me, please, please calm the storm in, in my own heart. And that that works sometimes. Well, that is beautiful. And uh, I loved Reverend Yearwood gave us a little a little signpost about how to calm the storm inside the form of meditation or prayer or whatever that is for you. And a lot of our other guests this season have have talked about something similar. But what I also loved about talking with Reverend Yearwood is that he also gave us some encouragement about how to keep doing the work about how, when you feel so incredibly overwhelmed, how to find the strength to hang in there and keep going no matter how hard it gets in this fight for social justice and climate justice in these crazy times. You can't give up. And that's the thing about this. You have to keep on keeping on. And, you know, I'm thinking about all of the many situations that I've been over years from Katrina to the Keystone XL pipeline to fighting for the clean power plan to look at the Paris Agreement to Standing Rock to Flint to now climate strikes. I'm thinking about all the times, you know, we've had, we've been, we've encouraged many situations. And then for me, there were situations for seeing many people of color who face police brutality or other situations in their lives. And the one thing that I think um, that reminds me is that you can be overwhelmed, but you can't be overcome. And I think that's the key thing is that you can be overwhelmed, but you can't be overcome. And I think you can't let it overcome you and you can't give into it. And I think that that's when your needle becomes in a place where it's like near on red or it's, it's flashing. You have to, to face the reality of the situation. And so I'm just hopeful that people who are in the movement or in general anywhere, that you overcome this. And as they say, this is, that, that was the Negro spiritual. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. And I think that's the power of that message, that we shall overcome. And I think that we are in a time now that we shall overcome this. I just keep thinking about this gift that I feel like he gave us, that you can be overwhelmed, but you can't be overcome. And we, we shall overcome this. You know, I think especially as white people in a position of privilege, working on climate change, we can think, oh, we're the first people to ever face such an existential crisis. And the reality is that for generations, people of color have been working to overcome, in spite of being overwhelmed by a crisis of slavery, colonialism, just as existential, just as overwhelming. And to bring that wisdom into this moment with some humility and deep respect for everyone who's gone before us. Definitely it was grounding for me to hear these words from Reverend Yearwood. Very inspiring and very encouraging at a time when, frankly, I have been feeling overwhelmed uh, quite a lot. And so 
to just remember that you can be overwhelmed, but you can't be overcome is something that I am carrying with me from this conversation. Yeah, I think about what he said earlier in the interview about how, you know, a lot of vulnerable people and people of color in particular don't get to choose whether or not they're going to be an activist. And, you know, they don't get to choose whether or not to give up because it's it's all around them. I think that when I start feeling really disheartened or really just tired, <laughs> like I've been sleeping a lot lately, and I think my body is just uh, and mind is kind of just responding to the scary world at large with just needing a lot of rest. But when I'm feeling that way, the thing that keeps giving me back up is that, you know, it's like with Bernadette, our guest, who's a, a Gwich'in elder who's fighting um, oil drilling in the Arctic refuge. It's like she there, there's no giving up. You can't give up. Um, and I just take that with me. It's like, even when I feel exhausted and uncertain on, on what to do or how to help, it's like, I, I can't give up. You know, it's, it's not an option. Yes. And as we are in this moment where we can't give up, we also have, I think, seen laid bare just how interconnected we all are and just how badly the systems that we have in place have failed people of color and our most vulnerable friends and neighbors and breaking down those silos is an important call for the work ahead uh, and thank you very much reverend yearwood for reminding us of that yeah and i think one of those silos is this disconnect we've seen between sort of faith and spirituality and the climate movement you know reverend yearwood said it so beautifully that it's really his faith and and those stories and those leaders and those songs that you know help him get up and do it and give him drive and and commitment and Marianne what you were saying about how it's become a really important part of your activism I think that that's why we wanted to do this season because climate isn't just going to be solved by policy it's going to be solved by kind of the stories that we tell ourselves that give us courage and strength and the ability to, you know, keep fighting. And for a lot of people, that's our, our spiritual stories and our faith traditions. So I thought that Reverend Yearwood just really beautifully interwove all of that for him and showed us, you know, what his story is and how there's really inspiring things that we can take away from it and interweave into our own lives. So thank you, Reverend Yearwood, for your many years of leadership and your wonderful wisdom that you shared with me and Anna Jane and all of our listeners. It has been a true gift. Amen. Thank you to the great band River Wireless for our theme music and to our sponsor, the Sierra Club. This episode was produced by Allison Wilson. We are distributed by Critical Frequency. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there so that we can help more people find the show. And join the conversation between episodes by following us on Twitter at MPLH Podcasts. And remember, there is no place like home.